Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Well, for the first time in a very, 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 very long time, I'm excited about something hockey-related, Bruce. Um, I mean, I, I can say, like, for the first week after the hockey shutdown, I was still, you know, I, I think I was on orders now, and I said there's a 90% chance there's going to be playoffs this year. And everyone else was saying, I think Spectre said 75% chance, and Bob was 50-50. Um, I think Elliot Friedman was 50-50. Brian Burke was way down low. He wasn't. Zero. Yeah. So I, I was really bullish at the time, and I was diving into stories about, you know, the playoffs and the power play. And, you know, honestly, Bruce, since then, my enthusiasm had waned somewhat. But tonight, Bruce, tonight there is a very, very interesting story um, from Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet. Why don't you tell us what Friedman is reporting? Are you ready to do that, or do you want me to do that? Absolutely. Under Sportsnet, the esteemed Elliot Friedman has uh, written an article, Could North Dakota Be an NHL Location of 2019-20 Season Resumes? And he says several sites would be necessary, but Ralph Engelstad Arena in Grand Forks makes sense. Most of 2005 World Juniors, 2016 World Under-18s, and the NC2A's Fighting Hawks. An impressive facility. Apparently a $150 million facility. And what they're looking at is trying to set uh, things up in non-league buildings. Uh, He says in here that uh, Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix reported on Friday that the NBA was considering putting all of its playoff games in Las Vegas, where, of course, there's no NBA franchise. Uh, So whether this would be an idea to put all playoff games in the one spot, I don't know, or whether it would be uh, one of multiple places. I mean, Saskatchewan's still a nice alternative. Who raised that, Bruce? Who who raised that? Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, I've seen North Dakota is kind of the Saskatchewan of the states. Yeah. As soon as they went out, I was saying, you know, you could have a tournament. Here's what I didn't know at the time, Bruce. Um, well, we didn't know how many players might have um, the disease. I think now we're getting a sense of that. And if they're all really isolating, especially if they're isolating with the knowledge, like like really isolate, guys, because there's a chance if you stay healthy, there's a chance we'll have playoffs. So don't go out doing whatever you do. Uh, make sure you isolate. But I also didn't know is... If they're how if, how much economic sense does it make just to have a TV event without any fans in the building, just have those games for TV? And Bruce, I think it would be huge money. Like I know they have a contract probably uh, with well they obviously have a contract for Sportsnet. I don't know, but I I think Sportsnet would be thinking or the contract the rights holders would be thinking we can sell ads for this. People are dying for something to. It's probably a bad word at this time, but they are, they are extremely excited about anything that would be distracting and be able to watch. Now, of course, the quarantine or the self-isolation we're all under may not last that long, but I think that it would be still huge that people would love this. And as a TV event, could make a lot of money off it, is my guess. But I, I, 
I've always been guessing about that and I don't know the answer to that, but I'm not, you know, so I put forward the idea that, you know, play all your games, go to some small town in Saskatchewan or some small city in Saskatchewan, play all your, all your games there. And um, Friedman, a few weeks later, was talking about the Saskatchewan solution on Oilers. Now he just, and he was talking about it kind of tongue in cheek as well. But this, this seems to maybe have some legs, Bruce. And what I would see would be like, you'd have to pick a hotel or two mm-hmm. and, you'd quarantine the players there. I mean, and you quarantine the staff there. No one would leave. Uh, no one would be coming and going. It would be like a senior's home in Edmonton. Right now, my parents are at the Churchill downtown and they're quarantined there. Like, you, you can't get in there. No one's in, no one's out. And that's what the players would be like. I I'm assuming at the hotel. And so I, I'm guessing you'd probably have maybe the Eastern conference might be in North Dakota and maybe the, um, the Western Conference teams would all be in Saskatchewan or maybe Montana or something like that, and and away we go. That would be like a cruise ship, eh, or maybe Shawshank. You get everybody just all together in one spot. Not a, not a cruise ship. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's the first. I'm, I'm being intentionally ironic, of course, when I say that. Yeah, but, that, uh, I wonder if there's a hockey, I wonder if there's an arena on a cruise ship you could just set out to sea and. Yeah. <laughs> It would just it would just take one. Eh? I mean, this is the scary part. But uh, they have um, uh, North Dakota is one of those states that's not in lockdown mode because they haven't had yet a uh, outbreak. Oh, really? Whether that makes it more likely to have a uh, uh, be susceptible because they are not taking precautions, uh, who the heck knows? But uh, I mean, just the fact they're talking about doing it anywhere means they're trying to keep their options open. Friedman says uh, league and players must agree on any return to play scenarios. Uh, no doubt. The players are very concerned about the potential of 35% escrow on future paychecks, whether or not the NHL will consider allowing that to be paid over multiple years. So they, they, he says CBA discussions are believed to be taking place. But you'd have to think, I was thinking about this the other day and thinking, how can they even nail down in the CBA for eight or 10 years in the future? When nobody even knows how this is going to end, so well, you probably, just you just base yeah, it on percentage of yeah, whatever the money is. It's fifty-fifty, right? Yeah. Whatever the money turns out to be, it's fifty-fifty. It's as simple as that. I don't. I'm not sure about the need for a long-term CBA out of this. Like, why? Like, why does that change because of this? Like, it, you have a you have, listen. This is happening, Bruce, because of the CBA. Though, if the players were just getting paid normally and and they wouldn't get paid for the playoffs and they weren't worried about league wide revenues, I think there's a slight I, like I know the players want to play anyway, but there's oh. a but the fact that their future earnings completely de- depends on how much money you make in this year's playoffs. And if you're throwing away what is it a, a billion dollars, I think. More than a billion dollars, if you don't. It's big, it's big bucks for sure. So I mean, can, let's say you can recoup three hundred million or four hundred million from from TV, like just from putting this on TV. And I'm not sure what it would be, but I'm just guessing. Um, that's a big that's a big uh, chunk of money that uh, the players will be missing out on next year. Half of that, if if uh, you know, because the salary cap will be that much lower. Well, four hundred million—that's like what um, Sportsnet play, pays for an entire year for their rights, because they got—they pay five point two billion over twelve years, so four hundred thirty million a year. Um, not sure if that's Canadian or American, probably Canadian, but of course the uh, uh, 
it's a bigger, uh, you know, it's it's not the standard one tenth in Canada what it would be in the states. They're pretty even, I think. But the, uh, uh, of course, the demand for hockey is much more in this country than in the states. But uh, there'd be big bucks out of the TV contract, but huge losses of gate receipts uh, for both residual regular season games plus uh, plus playoffs. And who knows what kind of format? You know, are you talking about uh, four rounds of best of seven? Are you talking about some kind of big tournament where 20 or 24 or 31 teams all get in and, and vie for a position again like the regular season never happened? Or how the hell are they going to do that? Like, there's so many so many uh, issues to uh, to resolve. I think the simplest thing is you just you send eight teams. You might even pick four different sites. Mm-hmm. You know, you just and they're they're quarantine sites. Mm-hmm. You have you know the Western, the Pacific, the set. You know whatever. What are the what are what are the divisions? I can't even remember them. The Eastern Division, the Wet Pacific Division. Just looking for where else they might want to go. Um, Manitoba has Manitoba's got a really low level of uh, mm-hmm. COVID cases. So uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan. You could probably pick cities in there with um enough hotels i mean because the problem of going to these the reason you can't have every team going to grand forks is there's not enough hotels i i imagine in a small town city like that to uh, maybe there would be with everything else dead maybe there would be enough hotel room but um i they probably want to have it as few cities as possible to keep it as simple as possible but you need the infrastructure in that city to be able to host it keep the travel to a minimum I mean, Grand Forks, I mean, North Dakota, that's, a, that's uh, of course, a famous university program. So presumably there's also uh, uh, accommodations on campus, uh, residents, you know. But, I mean, that probably, I guess it's, nothing would be their, up to their usual expectations. But what in the hell is going to be anymore? I mean, I don't know. If they're, if they're looking for that, then to hell with their usual oh, well, expectations. Yeah I, like, I, yeah, I don't think so. I think, I think you take what you can get. Oh, Ralph Angostad Arena has two rinks in it. Um, there's probably other rinks in what's it? What what's the town? Is that Grand uh, Forks? Grand Forks. Grand Forks. Mm-hmm. That is hockey country. So um, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, that's um, that's where uh, Elliot is going. It's a it's a relatively short post, and he ends. There's nothing but time to work on these issues at the moment because it's not like anything else is going on. So I guess there's nothing but time to write about these issues as well from his point of view. So any little seed of news. <clears throat> it is a very low population density state. Only Mo- Montana, Wyoming, and Alaska have fewer people. Uh, per square mile, the archaic measurement they use in uh, south of the 49th. And uh, uh, so it has that, I guess, going in its favor. Now, if you're going to televise hockey games from small arenas, your TV angles and your camera angles and so on are, are going to be very different to what people are used to as well. So this and, is a big arena, the Ralph Engelstad yeah, arena. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I think that's big enough that you can, uh, you can probably would. get it. 11,643 is the capacity for hockey. So, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's a big modern arena. So that would be fine. Now they might have to have some games though, in, in smaller arenas, depending on how many different places they go to, of course. But, um, yeah, 
I depends how desperate are they to get the games in and what you know how how they project the audiences and so on I mean it's hard to imagine one of these leagues trying to do this and the other one not doing it and uh, therefore sort of cornering the market on TV but NBA is talking about it NHL is talking about it well, they did, um, the Premier League's talking about it too. Mm-hmm. So um, lots of people looking at this this kind of thing. Of, It's hard to imagine that you could have a crowd of people um, by June even here in Canada. I just, I, I don't imagine that. So this is, this this I think was always the most likely scenario where they would be desperate enough just to play and they would go to something like this. I'm just looking at Brandon, Manitoba to see how many cases they have there. 20 players on a hockey team is a crowd by some of these uh, definitions that save 10 or more people, you know. Well, they're probably looking at states where they haven't put in kind of that state of emergency yet and have those huge restrictions. Um, you, you, you know, you'd have to <coughs> work out a deal, obviously, to you know have uh, you know um a hundred people at the event like I, I i'm sure to stage an nhl game you need at least a hundred people there i'm guessing what do you think you know you that to, yeah well, that yeah, would be the need, minimum right you need to test the hell out of everybody yeah and whether, you know whether they have the capacity i mean you keep hearing that the uh, ability to do these tests is ramping up and they have quicker turnarounds on them and so on uh but i'm you know uh, there's also the matter of how well do we understand the test? What does a negative uh, result mean, and how long does it mean it's going to stay negative? You know, how many do you, how many results do you need to get kind of cleared? Uh, there, there's going to be some uh, some pretty steep obstacles for sure. Just is just just one team so far with players that have tested positive is it just the senators or is it also the abs has there been an yeah there was somebody from the abs and they didn't uh they didn't name any names from either team but there was a uh, uh multiple players uh uh employees i think from the senators and at least one from uh, one other team i'm sure you're right it was colorado you know we're talking about in terms of like the actual risk for the participants involved is very small from covid 19 for younger people I think we know that by now. I mean, it, everyone's they're, they're certainly not in any identifiable high risk group of you know older people, asthma, cigarette smoking, that kind of thing. Um, they're not over the age of sixty. So, um, except the coaches. Well, yeah, maybe the coaches have to be up in the uh, up in the press box, can't be on the bench. I don't know. They'll have to figure that kind of thing out. But I, um, I think this. I think there's, this is the right idea. If it's going to happen, Bruce, it's going to happen this way. And, and it's a possibility uh, that in the next couple of weeks, they'll know more about North Dakota and see how well that weathers this, this current storm. You know, once we get to the peak and start going down the other side, uh, we'll see how North Dakota and other places like this are faring. And you could, if you start to plan for it now, you could see by, May 1st or May 15th or something like that. Here we go. First round of three games, um, three game series for the first round, five games for the next round, and then we'll have seven and seven um, from then on in or something like that. Or maybe they'll just go for the full, for the full, uh, uh, 
lengthy playoffs, which would be which would be fine. Do you know who the Oilers would play right now if um, it was based on winning percentage? If it's based on percentage, I believe Vancouver was a was just a hair ahead of uh, Calgary, was it for third place? I, I haven't looked for a while for obvious yeah, reasons, just, but just it check. was Vancouver that was just barely ahead on uh, on uh, percentage. All right, Bruce. Do you think this is going to happen? Yes or no? Uh, I, I don't. <laughs> I'm pessimistic. I'm, okay. uh, I do. Just there are a lot of speed bumps and and uh, obstacles and curveballs that haven't been thrown yet. You know that uh, I mean a lot of things would have to uh, uh, fall into place, and they sure haven't been uh, of late. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say there's I'm gonna go. I said there's a before I was predicting 90% chance. I'm gonna go to 99% chance this is going to happen. So you're saying there's a chance. 99. I'm saying there's a 99% chance this is gonna happen because wow. I think we're gonna. Uh, I think this is the. I think they've come to the right idea. This is the right idea. It doesn't sound to me like it's impossible to um, quarantine. Both players, officials, everyone in a couple hotels have them moving back and forth between the arenas and put on a TV show with everyone. Uh, and I, I think we're going to have enough tests and easy testing by the end of the month to um, that they're going to be able to do that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm at 99%. Yes, this is going to happen. Oh. Well, you're an optimist. I am. That's great. We need optimism, but uh, we need realism and we need, well... We need both. Okay, so the Oilers in the standings. Vancouver is 1-0-0-1 ahead of Calgary for third place in the Pacific. (laughs) Oh, oh, by winning percentage. I'm I'm looking at the wrong thing. Points percentage, excuse me. 565 to 564. Calgary's played one more game and they have one more point. So, of course, that actually pulls them closer to 500. So the Oilers would play the Canucks and Calgary would play who? Vegas? Uh, well, I guess that would depend on if Calgary made it as a wild card team, David. <laughs> yeah, let's have a look. I'm looking at the wrong thing myself. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, yeah. I, I've got the uh, stats, but they don't sort in, in the east and west very well. We've got St. Louis, Colorado, um, Dallas, um, Nashville. It looks like Calgary just squeezes in what zero zero one ahead of Winnipeg Jets. Oh, brutal. Anyway, yeah, it's hard. You're to, a Jets fan. Yeah, brutal. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just a brutal way to decide it. It's more what I'm thinking. Well, so the Jets played one more game than Calgary, so they can't complain that they were shortchanged in that regard. Like Calgary played seventy games, the Jets seventy-one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and Vancouver played 69, and they're all uh, nine points above Bettman 500. So the one with the fewer games played has an ever so slightly higher points percentage. So. Yeah. yeah, the key to having a game is you can't be getting on, obviously, you can't be getting on airplanes, going to hotels, traveling around, moving around. You, it's You've got to have... Uh, a, a community where there's n- hardly any cases or no cases. You have to have hotels 
where you can quarantine both players and staff and um, you need, and officials and everybody else. Like like I'm saying, I'm guessing it's about 100 people you're going to need for one game of, you know, between all the other people that have to be there. Maybe it's a little less than that, but I'm sure there's things I'm not thinking about. So I'm going to say 100. Several, do- several dozens at minimum. Yeah. Talking about um, officials, you're talking about minor officials, you're talking about rink attendants, and then you're talking about the guys inside the team, the equipment manager, the trainer. You know what, Bruce? Uh-huh. One other thought here. The league's just met with President Trump on uh, this week, correct? Yes. I find, it very, I find it interesting that this is coming out right after that meeting. And out of that meeting, there was nothing. It just seemed very kind of boilerplate comments, yep. like Trump thanking the leagues for supporting and blah, blah, blah. But I bet you... If you're the president of the United States, I think you understand how important it is for some distraction right now, for people not to be so glum and depressed. And that's how this is that's how this is shaping up to be, or maybe it's just the weather. Maybe it's just so sick of this weather, Bruce. I'm so sick of it. But maybe I, I think the isolation, and listen, when you're out there now in the streets, it's it's you go to this, it's horrible. You know, lining up for the store. Every every person you bump into, you don't see as a as a human being. It's like someone who could give you a virus. Yeah. Like this is oh, this I, is I, not healthy. This is not good. And we're gonna need some things other than just Netflix to pick up our spirits. And uh, so I guess this is just different TV content, but it's pretty significant. Like it's it's human activity. It's life. It's something we're passionate about. So I could see the president saying, "Listen." Have you thought about this? Or maybe they proposed it to the president and he's maybe he said, hey, f- come up with the plan and we'll do whatever we can. And I'm just, this is of course, total speculation here on my part. Come up with a plan and we'll, and we'll take a look at it because he could see, I'm sh- like any leader from Justin Trudeau to Donald Trump, and that's quite a gamut of ideology and different style of human being there, could see the benefit of this kind of thing. So, and... I hope Saskatchewan gets in on it or Manitoba or some, it's not just North Dakota, but it's like that we get some small community in the interior of BC or um, in uh, Saskatchewan or, you know, Red Deer or someplace like that, that doesn't have very many, if any cases, and they could make it, make it happen there. That would be fantastic. Of course they couldn't go. It would just be a TV show. Maybe Alaska, right? (laughs) Miracle Alaska. The ice still frozen there on that lake? Is that? Oh, is that where? Pretty good chance. I've never never watched that here. Is it Mystery Alaska or Mystery 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 Alaska? What happened? What's that? Have you seen that movie? Uh, Years and years ago, and I've forgotten the the gory details. I can't remember. I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah. All right. Works for me. Well, yeah. I think there's there's a lot of details, and you know the, the the. the niggling thought that in the corner of my mind that just doesn't go away through all this is Joe Hall. And what if there was a single Joe Hall? Joe Hall. Uh, Joe Hall. Joe Bad Hall, Joe Hall. Joe Hall. The Joe Hall that died in the nineteen aftermath of the cancellation of the nineteen nineteen Stanley Cup Finals from Spanish flu. And it would just take one, David, and it would be catastrophic. Bruce, this is a different from what we know, and I think we know well enough. The Spanish flu took out young, healthy people. That's yeah. that's who was most, if, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't think I am, that's who was, who was most, yeah, most affected by the Spanish flu. This is completely opposite. 
this hammers the people at the other end of the, the spectrum in terms of human health. Doesn't and so I I don't see that comparison. Um, like I I understand with our culture now, if someone gets like I can see the threat of one player getting sick and what that would mean, especially if they were in quarantine, and one guy got sick. But why not give it a go? And or, and maybe you have protocols for if that happens. Like when you're in quarantine, hey buddy, all you players, guess what? Your rooms are gonna you're you're gonna be delivered your meal in your room. You're gonna have to stay in your room, and but do you, you know, the players will have to sign off on this. This will be the mm-hmm. agreement. This and is then what once a night you come out on the ice together and you sweat and you spit and you you, you know they're wearing all the things that go on during a hockey game. I don't think playing a hockey game would be particularly how oh, maybe. <laughs> If you're uh, sick, but I and yeah. I guess you're, there's the asymptomatic. But Bruce, well, this has to come with cases. testing, right? Yeah, they would be, well. They'd have to be testing. Okay, for they have a whole month. What if they're What if they're able to start? Te- what if we get rampant testing within, let's say, two oh, or three? That's a huge. So then you're uh, then you're block. testing all these players in the weeks leading up. Everyone's everyone's negative weeks leading up. They get there. You're, you're testing all the way through. I think you could have an expectation that that would not happen as long as no one breaks quarantine. So, um, and the players would understand the seriousness of that. And you could, you, you know, you could take extra precautions. Now they're going to have to go to the arenas and, um, you know, be together on the ice. But if everyone's being tested and no one's symptomatic um, and they've been tested for some time, I don't see why this can't happen. Uh, I, it seems to me if there's a will, there's a way. And I'm, I'm guessing there's plenty of will here. And uh, because I don't see this as particularly risky uh, for the players. In, uh, and uh, there, there's a lot of upside in going ahead. Well, you? What's that? <laughs> I'm not really trying to convince you. No. No, I'm, that, just, I'm, I'm, I'm taking kind of the opposite viewpoint, partly to make good. this interesting, but also partly because I'm, I'm, I am pessimistic right now. At, okay, why are, what's, what's your number one reason well, for being well, pessimistic? Well, I mean, you keep hearing things like um, uh, <clears throat> places being um, uh, shut down until June 30th and, you know, dates well, well into the future. And uh, hearing health authorities saying, you know, it's going to be two or three months uh, before uh, uh, we might be on top of the curve, and it might only be the first curve. I mean, the Spanish flu came in three different waves, right? And it was uh, uh, anyway. There, there's, there is. Um, um, you know, a lot like, of the media, Bruce, is concentrated in New York. Mm-hmm. New York's the hardest hit city. Yep. in america north dakota is not new york and mm-hmm. and uh you know maybe if the the media capital of the world was was grand forks we'd be hearing a different attitude about this like you know life can go on i don't even know is life going on in north dakota i don't even know if they're out of their schools yet well yeah i mean they have uh you know it's a red state it hasn't got any um uh, statewide lockdown i believe some of the individual uh communities <clears throat> May well be, but there's not any sort of coordinated statewide uh, thing. Um, a lot of the stats we've seen so far just shows that uh, wherever 
it, it, there may be a delayed start, but once it starts in a certain place, the curve is going to do. Schools are closed does. in North Dakota. K to 12 schools in North Dakota remain closed March 19th. Let me just see uh, if there's anything. Uh, yeah. Closed until further notice March 19th. So, you know, so they, they are in lockdown there uh, with their schools. And I imagine a lot of. Like, I think it's really wise, right? Like, if you haven't had any problems yet, like, why not shut down right now? I think the the, the luckier places are the ones kind of the, the, the last to get it because they can take the proper measures that probably should have been taken by everyone a couple months earlier. Yeah, you would think. So, um, anyway, we'll see. I, I got, I, I'm, I remain uh, extremely optimistic about this because uh, for the, for the reasons I've stated, so. What is okay? What was your top reason against it again? Well, just that it just seems to be getting so you know the 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 projections are getting so far out into the future before saying things will begin to normalize and maybe uh, some kind of whizzy solution like this for gathering all the players and so on in one place to do it, they can get ahead of the timeline a little bit, but I don't think they're going to be able to get ahead of it by a lot. So. And it has to be, I mean, the competition itself has to be conducted with integrity somehow. And if it winds up being a tournament instead of a, you know, four best of seven series, it's always going to have an asterisk beside it, right? When, uh, whether it's worth it to have some, something with an asterisk or just have, you know, a footnote in the standing saying this season was discontinued because of the coronavirus 2019 or 2020. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm of two minds about it for sure. First life finds a way and so will hockey. All right. Let's, uh, let's, uh, talk about what you're working on. You, you did a recent post. I did a recent post on the Bakersfield Condors, but we mm-hmm. talked that one to death last podcast, but you, you've been, uh, you've been in the midst of this Ken Holland series, uh, yeah, and the yeah. retrospective for the year. And you did a recent post on the you know kind of his plan for various players and how he carried that out so what did you find yeah it was really interesting uh i found well first of all to me one of the things that really impressed me right off the bat uh was how he came to edmonton uh had a press conference on a tuesday and on the wednesday he was on a flight watching hockey game in uh, san diego california a long way from here uh on wednesday night uh, and I mean, some would call it due diligence, and I'm saying, fine, that's great, that's what you want in your manager. That right away he took his opportunity to go down and see the prospects in his system. Uh, I think three different games. I think he saw game three, four, and five of that series, and he um, um, got a taste right away. And it was funny. He came into a situation where he had under contract eight forwards for next year. Now this year, of course, and eight defensemen. So a very unbalanced, like he had six NHL defensemen, plus he had Brandon Manning, whatever you want to call him. Plus he had Joel Pearson as a prospect who was locked up to a one-way NHL contract, eight defensemen. And he only had eight forwards. So it looked like for the young guys, there was a ton of room to opportunity at forward and not no opportunity at all really on the back end. Well, that was the opposite of what he actually had in terms of prospects. He had three defensemen that were chomping at the bit 
uh, entering the last year of their entry level contract and needing a chance to uh, to show what they could do in the NHL and a chance to compete for an NHL job. That, of course, is Ethan Bear, Caleb Jones, William Lagason. Uh, and arguably, they were the three most NHL-ready prospects in the order system last year. And yet, there was this huge crowd of defensemen. So, Holland went out last summer. Uh, first thing he did was, or one of the very early things he did, was buy out Andrew Sekra and create that little bit of breathing room in the roster. Second thing he didn't do is he didn't sign a single defenseman. He just didn't sign any at all. He just brought, he thought, well... We got these young guys, among the three of them, one of them better be ready or we're going to be in trouble. But, you know, we got to find out what we got. Because if you had another season going with the same starting six, then where are you, right? You're in the in the case where they were in 2017, where they lost jo- Jordan Osterley walking away for nothing, right? Or, you know, there, there's uh, they needed to do something. So he broke that log down. And at the forward position, he did the exact opposite. He created this huge logjam by going out and signing all these 26-year-olds. We've talked about this before at, at some length. But uh, again, you know the guys, Haas and Nygaard from uh, from Sweden uh, uh, and from North America, uh, Grandland, uh, Shane, Archibald, Jurcho, even Patrick Russell uh, that he brought back as a you know from unrestricted free agency. And all these, all these guys, and he created these layers of, uh, of competition among themselves and against whom the young, very young guys, the Bensons, the Yamamotos, the Marodis of the world, would have to beat those guys out to get a job early in the season. And so they didn't. Of course, they all wound up going back down to Bakersfield and it took Yamamoto till mid-season to finally get his chance. And that was only after all of these guys, every single one of those guys I named got at least 10 games in the NHL and all but Thomas Yurchow got over 30 playing for the Oilers this year. So so Holland sort of put his money where his mouth is, come to Edmonton, we'll give you a chance. And he gave him a chance. And finally after Christmas when the, when the holiday roster freeze ended, that's when he shipped out uh, Marcus Grandland brought up Kyler Yamamoto, and that was sort of phase two, second half. Now we're going <clears> to <throat> now we're going to give one or two of these youngsters a shot. They gave Tyler Benson one too, but he was a little uh, less ready than Yamamoto. But so he found a to me he found a balance between giving the young guys a shot and uh, not just sort of dumping them into a situation where they were in over their heads. And we've seen that yeah. so many times in the last. Uh, yeah, I love. This... Go ahead, Bruce. <clears throat> Sorry, just one last. This was the, only the second time in the entire decade, uh, 2010 to 20, uh, where the Oilers did not have a teenage rookie on the roster to open the season, just out of the previous draft. Second Very time sweet. in 10 years, and in fact, they didn't have a 20-year-old. Yeah. Their youngest rookies at the beginning of the year were 22, and then they finally worked in the 21-year-old Kyler Yamamoto uh, partway through. So I just I just want to emphasize what you're saying. I just loved how systematic it was to uh, you know give Yurcho a chance, give Granlund a chance, give uh, Patrick Russell a chance, and not only that. Systematic in terms of giving people a chance on the top line with McDavid. I mean, give Negard that little chance. Give Chase on a chance to play up in the lineup. Give Cassian a chance. Um, give Gagne a chance. 
And finally, when when they had given all those guys a chance, they thought, we better give give Yamamoto a chance. And it's about time. And they did. And then then they still needed someone, so they thought, let's give Benson a chance. Now, Benson, I thought, actually played very well. I I think I was impressed. But he didn't impress the coaches as much as he impressed me. So they thought, okay. Um, And they come up to a playoff where they think, we have a chance to win in these playoffs, win some games and win some series. So they bring in, at that point, the two veterans. And it was just, it was, uh, it was it, like clockwork in terms of uh, its efficiency. It was, it was very, very well done. And it was, it was so much more rational. Now, maybe, maybe it was just by design that way, Bruce, or maybe because the orders are winning, you, you're allowed everything. When you win, everything starts to look in retrospect, like, oh yeah, it all went according to plan. And the GM was so smart, but um there, there did seem to be a like a, a plan in place, yes. and the same. And you already talked about defense, so I won't go back over that. But I really did notice it at forward, and I loved how it played out at the forward. Plan at forward versus defense were very different from each other, and I think because of uh, the situation he inherited and just the developed state of the prospects. I mean, if you look at it, the three guys who did make the team as young players. Uh, Kyle Yamamoto is not officially a rookie, and the reason he's not is that he got uh, uh, two different cups of coffee in two different seasons, nine and 17 games. Uh, Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear are both rookies, but each of them had about an 18-game trial in a previous season. So none of those guys was coming in blind, whereas Tyler Benson, this was literally his NHL debut. Yeah. He was getting the cup of coffee that those guys yeah. had before. Now, next year when he comes back, he'll have the benefit of that experience. And hopefully a summer of normal training to uh, uh, to build on, you know, what he learned from the time he was in the league. I mean, you, those personal experiences the guys get of, of, you know, how strong are these guys? You know, how tough, how smart, how wily, how vicious, how, you know, all those things that you, you, you know, when you step up that extra level to the NHL, you find that all these all these degree of challenges. And I mean, it took Kyle Yamamoto a year and a half as a pro. And they had to fight through an injury, um, but and he was a first-round draft pick. But uh, you know, e- even a successful pick, it can take them a while. And they're at least starting to deliver guys like that. And, and it seems like the um, the Holland approach is, um, um, you know, like you say, it's, it's rational. It's uh, and as far as I can tell, you know. Any, any sort of free agent that he signs, if he goes out next summer, just based on what he did here, and he would have had a huge long reputation with agents and everything he did in Detroit, but just based on what we saw here when we were looking at his you know, everyday thing close up, uh, if I'm an agent, I love that guy. Like, he says what he thinks. He offers your guy a chance. He gives him a chance. And even if he doesn't make it, you can't say, well, damn it, he never got a chance. You can say, well, he turned him over to the coach and the coach liked another guy better. And eventually he didn't make the grade, right? Or he got hurt or, you know, something happened. Uh, but even the guys that got sent out, they got called back up, except for Thomas Sircho. All the other guys even got, you know, a second chance. The old person, even the guy who didn't work out on defense, he got chances. And, you yeah. know, and then when it, they determined that he wasn't going to make the team, rather than burying him in Bakersfield, they traded him at the deadline to another team. 
because he's got a decision to make in the summer, you know, do I want to keep up with this North American dream or not? Well, this summer, he's going to be able to make that decision based on a little more information that he got from the second organization uh, when he got traded to the Anaheim organization. And to me, that's just the, the, the GM doing the player a solid and saying, well, we couldn't find room for you. We're going to give you a chance somewhere else. Yeah. If the orders make the playoffs, Benson could be on the roster. So, um, or, well, they would make the playoffs under this if there's no more regular season games. I, and I suspect there will not be. Let's uh, go to an eight, 18 playoffs. Yep. Yeah, I think they will. That's what they'll go to it. And um, maybe 24. You never know. Like they might increase it somehow. We'll see. Um, but I could see, I could see, uh, you know, Benson being there with the team in uh, the quarant- hotel quarantine. And, um, Maybe getting in some games, you never even know. But that'll be a good experience for him um, if that happens. To be, he'll be practicing with the team every day and get to know these players really well, um, better. So um, that'll be good. You know, one I was just thinking one challenge. I think some players did go home to Sweden and stuff, but fortunately, various NHL owners own private jets, so uh, can probably. And I think there are various well, they flights. Somehow, there must be a way to get back. Well, there was, it was a little easier to travel at that moment in time than it is now, but they could figure that out as well. And, they, and, I, and like I say, uh, Daryl Cates has a private jet that could just shoot on over and make a couple stops and um, get ready to play the Canucks. All right, Bruce. In North Dakota, eh? Or is it, uh, no, Saskatoon? Yeah, Saskatoon's a it's a pretty big. I don't think Grand is Grand Forks as big as Saskatoon. Let's just Google this. We should. I should have done a little bit more research before we done Grand Forks. It's a very. It's a very quite a deserted state, North Dakota. That's not how they see it, Bruce. They see it as uh, wide open. And mm-hmm. um, ever watch that movie Fargo? Isn't that Minnesota? That's far, Fargo, North Dakota. Oh, yeah, the actual. Oh, Okay, guess how many people Grand Forks has, Bruce? Carry this on. Can't be right. Let me just see Small if I got. Number. Let me just see if I have the right state here. <laughs> is, there, is there another? Okay, uh, population. College town. Eh? Okay, guess. Don't Google. Small. <laughs> oh, it's bigger. Okay. Grand Forks has uh, fifty-seven thousand. I was going to guess sixty. Damn it! I should have said it. Sixty thousand. Oh, that's a good guess. Bismarck, 72,000. And is it Minot? Uh, 47,000. What's Fargo? And Fargo is Fargo, North Dakota. I thought Fargo was in Minnesota. Maybe it's because she had a Minnesota. Oh, she wasn't the lead actress yeah, the movie, from yeah, Minnesota. They, she had a Minnesota, Minnesota act. But, but the, the, the original crime happened in Fargo. Fargo is bloody huge, man. It's 122,000 people. Wow, and Sioux like Falls... Heavy. 176,000 people. Where's Sioux Falls? I've never... Is that, the, is that a Dakota, too? Well, anyway, there's there's a bunch of Red Deers and Lethbridges and St. Albert's and Sherwood Parks there as opposed to Edmonton's and Calgary's. <clears throat> Made to order for the NHL playoffs 2020. Here we go. All right. All I can do is remember that scene from the movie where they're, they're, they've got the cash and they're trying to guys trying to bury it around along the snow fence and he looks up and down the fence for like a hundred miles in each direction (laughs) and there's absolutely nothing to be seen in either direction and he 
and he buries the money by a, by a uh, fence and he sticks his windshield scraper into the ground as a marker as to where he can find the money later. <laughs> I remember a couple scenes from that movie, but I don't think I'll repeat them during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Owen Brothers had a pretty bizarre yeah, sense of humor. That was a great movie. All right, Bruce. Well, let's leave it there, and uh, right. you'll be you'll be posting on this. Uh, yeah, I'll have, a, I'll, have a, tonight. I'll have a post up on on this. Uh-huh. I'm not quite sure this, how far to take it, but we'll. The Saskatchewan uh, we'll solution. We'll talk about it. The Saskatchewan solution. It's coming. I do have a little bit more to come yet on Ken Holland. I'm digging into his trading record, and that's uh, uh, going back in time to what he did in Detroit. And it's kind of interesting to see some of the patterns that emerge from that. Well, I feel a new burst of energy on this, and I'm going to be digging into the Oilers' penalty kill, like I did the power play previously. The penalty kill and best practices for the coming playoffs, for the coming 2020 playoffs. All right, Bruce. I look forward to that. Your penalty or your power play series is excellent. Yeah, thank you. And I, I was I found it really interesting. I, I didn't mm, know what I, I was gonna find and I just found it fascinating. So I know a lot more that's about the best the power kind when you don't know what you're gonna get and you find something solid, you know, that's yeah. uh, that's the best kind of research. Alrighty. Thanks for talking. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey Podcast. <laughs>